Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're going to talk about Apple won a Best Picture Oscar. Apple has finally allowed developers to link out of their app to their own websites, and they might be launching hardware subscriptions. Plus, we're going to talk even more about the studio display. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Collide. And the reason why we're going to talk about the studio display is because my friend Wes Hilliard's on the show this week. What's going on, Wes? Uh, pretty good, Stephen. Don't worry, I am not talking to you through the studio display. <laughs> yeah, before we actually started recording, uh, you were like, why am I so echoey? And it's like, well, that three-mic array from the studio display, not the same as a good USB microphone. We'll just say that. But I want to hear your thoughts on the studio display. We'll get to that towards the end of the show for sure, but there's a lot of news we want to cover, especially, I mean, Apple being the first streaming service ever to win a Best Picture Oscar. So we'll get to that. I want to give a few five-star review shout-outs. So many of you, you guys kill it every week, giving five-star ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts from all over the world, too. Some new countries this week. We got Jap from the Netherlands. Miguel T., who's from the USA, but is a overnight truck driver. And in his review, he said that he listens to this show at 1 a.m., like right after it hits the RSS feeds. He's in his truck listening to it in the middle of the night. So Miguel, thanks for your review. Jacob K. from Great Britain, Kabil Z. from USA, JBC from Haiti. Now, listeners down in Haiti, which is awesome. It's the dark here from Estonia. I think that's a new country today, too. Webnosis from Great Britain, Steph DL from Canada. I know we got several listeners from Canada. What's up, Basic Apple guy? AD Paul R. and Club Lowe's from USA, Baz and J. Buddy from USA, who's been a Mac user for over 35 years and enjoys the show. And then Stefan from Belgium. Man, people from all over the world. Where do you know where Estonia is, Wes? That, that's by like Finland, right? That's uh, in Europe, I believe. That's as far as I can get you. <laughs> okay, okay. Let me pull up Apple Maps here. Let's see, Estonia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was right. It's right. It's right next to Finland. But you are also correct. Northern part of Europe, the northeastern part of Europe. It borders Latvia, and then across that little uh, strait is Finland. Wow. Yeah, I hear Estonia and think that'd be a place where you'd shoot vampire movies or something. That's mm. the kind of vibe I get. Yeah, yeah, Van Helsing probably shot there or something. All right, well, I wanted to hit this right at the top because last weekend it was the Oscars. I'm not going to talk about the things that everyone is actually talking about. What I want to talk about is Coda, which was the Apple TV Plus original, won the Oscar for Best Picture. And the reason why this is kind of a unique event is Apple TV Plus is the first streaming service who has actually won the Best Picture Oscar, meaning it's beaten Netflix. Netflix has plenty of original movies that comes out all the time, but they had not won a Best Picture Oscar yet. So kind of a big moment for that. Coda also won for Best Supporting Actor and Best Adapted Screenplay. You could call Apple's uh, Best Picture win a slap to the face to Netflix. If you... <laughs> yes. What was interesting, though, is after it came out, you know, the Twitter sphere has lots of thoughts on things. And some said that, well, Apple just acquired the rights to Coda after it already debuted at Sundance. The implication being that, like, Apple wasn't really involved, quote unquote, in the production of it. So maybe it's not truly an Apple TV Plus original. And I saw you kind of tweeting some thoughts. And, you know, this is one of those things where, it's not like Craig Federighi is sitting in the director's chair for Apple TV Plus original content or like Tim Cook. You know, they're obviously overseeing what content I'm sure gets on the service, but there's not as much maybe direct involvement with the SVPs and CEO of Apple in this content. So I think it's kind of a weird line to try and draw and say like, well, because they acquired it, it's not really an Apple TV Plus original. So I don't know. Tell me what you felt about that. Netflix, the power of the dog, I believe that's the movie that they were nominated for. Yes. Uh, guess what, guys? Yes. They bought that movie too. They didn't make it. They didn't pay for the production. <laughs> they right. bought it after the fact. So um, pretty much everything 
is like that in Hollywood. Uh, the, these distribution rights, it's it's a whole different thing. But I don't think it diminishes what happened here because Apple chose to pay that obscene amount of money. Uh, what is it? Twenty five million dollars for Coda for distribution rights. Not only did they pay the rights to you know distribute in the United States, they went and retroactively paid all of these European studios that already paid to distribute across Europe and paid them more money to get the rights back. So Apple could be the global owner of the rights to distribute this, uh, this movie. Wow. Uh, okay. Because they felt it was that important that a, they own it uh, totally and universally and B, they really believed in the story. Right. Tim Cook's been very vocal about how he likes the representation of this movie. And, I don't know. There's just a lot of those weird. I think a lot of people are. This is like their first visit to Hollywood and just haven't seen how these things work. Um, you do a movie podcast, so I'd say you're very familiar with a lot of these kinds of things, like the fact that Coda is based on a French movie um, mm. of, of a similar plotline. I think actually the exact same plotline. Uh, and I've seen people even comparing the two. And there's a reason why this movie is getting so much, you know, awards and, and attention versus like the French movie, which took the same plot and told it in a very different way and just not as well done. And, uh, you know, we can all just go to the quality of the production, the acting, and just the fact that not only was there deaf cast me- members, but deaf people participating in the production of the film, you know, crew members and whatnot. So right. it's just overall a very different film for Hollywood. And I think that's why it deserves the attention it's getting. Yeah. And like you said, it was Apple's decision to purchase rights. They did not have to do that. And so that alone is a sense of involvement. I guess the question is, is if this went through Sundance as per a normal indie film, I don't know, Fubo TV bought the rights to Mm. distribute Coda, would it have gotten the same attention? I don't think so because Apple not only bought that movie, and the distribution rights, but they poured money into advertising. The amount of money that went into advertising this is probably nothing compared to what they paid twenty five million. But it adds up. Yeah, uh, you know, I I would love to see that that sheet. But they've been advertising this everywhere that they can get attention on it. Um, even like oh, yeah. PlayStation is advertising Apple TV Plus and Coda along with it. Like it, it's it's crazy. So I I don't I don't see this as oh Apple just paid their way to the Oscars because if you believe that then that's that's a pretty cynical take for what is already a pretty broken system for the academy awards but uh, (laughs) right yeah and i will say there was an interesting article uh, it just went out right before we started recording i'll put a link in the show notes but a business insider i believe it is got some sources that actually started talking about apple and their I guess, inexperience in the entertainment world and how they're kind of frustrated some producers and directors. And I just think it goes to show like this is a whole new world, not not to make a Disney reference, but this is a whole new world for Apple to be in movies and TVs. And they cited examples of, you know, Apple typically when it does hardware and software releases, don't tease anything. They don't market anything until it's ready to launch. And so that secrecy that Apple typically uses for its products actually doesn't work in the entertainment world. You actually need to tease things way out there. Sometimes it could be too much like the Morbius movie. Notoriously, everyone's like tired of seeing this trailer. Let's just have the movie come out. So, you know, there's a balance there, but also things like Apple's lawyers are not as familiar with entertainment law as they might be for technology and those kinds of things, especially internationally. So it's interesting growing pains that Apple is experiencing getting into the entertainment industry, but clearly they're doing a good job. I'm just not sure I see that side of it. For example, Killers of the Flower Moon, I believe is what it's called, a Scorsese film that's been in production for 20 years or so. So, which is usually how long it takes to make a movie. Um, <laughs> yep, I'm sure you're yep. familiar. Apple acquired the rights to that and announced it and was very proud of it. 
before TV Plus was even a thing. Like, like that was one of their announced, we're doing this thing with Martin Scorsese yeah. uh, as part of our Apple TV Plus lineup, still hasn't even got a trailer. doesn't even have a title card right. for that film. Right. So just one of those things. Apple's been pretty open about this business. They announce, uh, they talk to uh, that Hollywood reporter anytime they hire somebody. Like, all this stuff gets out. I don't think Apple's afraid of being open and uh, paying some money to, to advertise ahead of time. Luck, that Skydance movie, right. was teased last year with as with Jane Fonda and we're only just now seeing glimpses of the f- a- animation in motion in a sizzle reel Apple showed earlier this year and that movie doesn't come out until August so right. I-, I don't see where this business like these complaints are coming from unless it's just John Hamm complaining that he's not in the movie but <laughs> but that's hilarious because it was an Apple TV Plus commercial <laughs> right right John Hamm. I will say so Apple TV Plus was announced the service March 25 2019 which was just 3 years ago almost to the day, the night of the Oscars this year. So three years from not even having a streaming service to winning the Oscar for Best Picture is quite a feat. Three awards in total. Yeah, three three Oscars, yeah. I'm not, I'm not aware of what other services have got. Like, I'm sure Amazon and Netflix have some sort of Academy Award under their belt. But yeah, Best Picture being the first for Apple is, is wild. The idea that Apple, that anyone's still like Hollywood, like Apple doesn't understand Hollywood is wild to me too. Because if you hear anyone who's like directed or, or participated in any Apple TV plus programming, they just, I don't, I don't know if they're paid to do this maybe, but they, they just love Apple on set. Hmm. If you ever listen to uh, Rob McElhenney, he, he does the always sunny podcast. You know, he, he, he makes mythic quest. Right. Anytime he talks about Apple, it's just, man, they, they just let you do whatever you want and you pitch him something and you're like, I don't know about this. Uh, I'm not sure. And they're just like, yeah, go for it. And hmm. if you pay attention to like M night Shyamalan, he's talked about making servant, like the creative freedom that people have on this platform is actually drawing more talent. in. I think, and, uh, yeah. I think that story is being lost to some people. That's a good point. All right, well, I wanted to do some follow-up. We had talked about the captive network stuff in iOS 15.4 and tvOS 15.4, and I had several people send me images of actually what it looks like to connect your Apple TV running the latest tvOS to captive networks, McGuire and Daniel on Twitter, and then there were others too. I'm sorry for didn't save all of them. The way Apple TV does it is actually if you try to connect it to something like a hotel Wi-Fi network, the Apple TV will throw up a screen that says continue on iPhone or iPad, and then you finish the process on the iPhone. So it's not like a web browser slides up on the Apple TV or you even finish the process on Apple TV. It just connects to the iPhone, much like you would confirm a payment for something or entering a password. You can do that. So anyway, I thought that was cool. Thanks for those screenshots and follow up on how that actually works. And yeah, bring your Apple TV to a hotel now and you can connect it to the captive network. I think the genius of this is of of course it's handoff of course yeah of course of course and i don't know why it took so long to get to this point but i I guess someone was just sitting in the in the room and it just hit them like a brick like wait what if we just use the iphone to sign into these things like yeah duh like let's (laughs) implement it move on i I don't i don't see if this this being a complicated feature at all it's just no one thought of it till now it's kind of crazy yeah and and i'll mention this here there's been several interviews with Apple execs in different news outlets and Apple executive Vivek Bardwai, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he actually did an interview talking about continuity 
and universal control now, and how basically all the continuity features that have been building over the years from handoff to continuity specifically to now universal control and airdrop that it's just kind of been a natural progression through all those things and universal control like when you first see it it's a little mind-blowing but when you think at all the technologies that apple has set up over the years to make this possible it's like yeah it makes sense and then i don't know if you've seen this but there was a tiktok that went viral yes. and then everybody shared it on twitter of this girl basically taking three fingers she has an image up on her iphone and she grabs the with the three fingers on the image kind of pinches in with the three fingers then puts her hand over to her ipad another device and takes the three fingers and pinches out on the screen and the image just appears there. When you just see it on video, it literally looks like magic. But what it's doing is one of the Apple continuity features is universal clipboard. And with three fingers, you can copy and paste. And so that's what it's doing. It's copying the image from one device, pasting it on the second device. But because it's implemented in that way, this gesture based kind of invisible to the user what it's doing, it really does look like magic and a bunch of people freaked out at it. Yeah, iOS. Uh, I believe that was 13 introduced a few three finger gestures, uh, including, I, I believe, copy, paste, uh, undo. You can tap with three fingers to undo yes. that stuff all just flew overhead. I think everyone just forgot about it immediately because uh, the people who care um, know how to long press to get copy and paste. I think that was implemented as a uh, sorry, we removed 3D touch, but here you go kind of thing. Right. It's, it's always fun for me when I see someone especially like, you know, social media, someone who has no, no business in tech discovering a feature from five, 10 years ago. And it's like, wow, I didn't know I could do this. It's like, yeah, this is why I have a job and, uh, finding, <laughs> finding these things and telling people about it. It's just half the fun. Like, I just love the reaction people get. It's like, wow, this is crazy. I can't believe this works. And it's just like, yep, I've been doing this since like 2015 guys. It's, it, it works. I promise. Yeah, and this was, I had a viral tweet last week because I posted a short video about selecting items in a list. Like if you're in the iPhone mail app and you have a list of emails, typically if you want to select multiple, you tap the edit button, then you either tap the little circles or you can drag with one finger after you click the edit button. But you can actually not tap edit at all and just take two fingers and swipe downward on the screen across the items you want to select. And you can select multiple in a row very quickly. And it actually works in Apple Notes. You can select multiple notes. It works in shortcuts. It works in a bunch of places, even like text message conversations. And it just blew up. And it was something like I posted it because I didn't even know that that was a gesture that existed. And apparently many others didn't know either. I don't even know when that was introduced. I believe that was last year. Okay. If not last year, two years ago, but I think it was last year. Yeah. It's just one of those, you won't discover it until you uh, accidentally do it just because so few apps are going to have that enabled. Um, a lot of people yeah. build their custom systems into these apps and never implement Apple. So Apple turns it on and it's automatically enabled for any app using like their list and select system. But yeah, it's it's one of those odd ones that you have to be in a very specific situation to run into. So I wanted to highlight, we had an article kind of rounding up all the different rumors about the iPhone 14 Pro. But the reason why I really think you should go look at this article is because our render artist, Apple Tomorrow, has new renders of what we believe the iPhone 14 Pro will look like. And these renders are pretty nice looking. I will say these are very nice renders. Very crispy. Very crispy. I was, I was going to say crispy. <laughs> <laughs> they are crispy. They are fire. All the, the modern vernacular of when something is very cool. But the actual rumors of the iPhone 14 Pro that we have, in case you've missed some, A16 Bionic, of course, the next chip. The rumor is that maybe only the Pro line will get the 16 and the regular iPhone 14 will get the A15. We'll see this fall. 
that it might have a 48 megapixel camera. That would be a big upgrade because the iPhone still currently has just 12 megapixel cameras. The pill and hole punch front-facing camera on the front and face ID rather than a notch, it would go to a pill and hole punch. Again, you could see the renders for what that would look like. Possibly 8K video recording, which again, the last time the video resolution was upgraded, different levels of slow-mo have been added over the past years, but I think 4K was introduced with the iPhone 6S, and so it's been a while uh, for 4K video, so this would be 8K possibly on the 14 Pro. A titanium rather than steel and aluminum body, has been rumored and we're probably not going to see touch id under the screen for a while there were some rumors about that but ming chi kuo then says like no that's not coming for a long time so those are at least the renders that we know of right now but it looks very nice the renders that apple smart put together that's all i want to say if you pay attention to these things i, I usually end up writing this stuff I, I keep track of all these rumors and it's it's wild to see how much this has changed. Uh, my, the last time I wrote a, a roundup article on iPhone 14 was in December. It came out on Christmas Eve, actually. And just from then to now, about three months, uh, completely different phones. Um, mostly because those first renders were based on John Prosser's um, original like pre-iPhone 13 renders. And uh, sure, I they, they were cool, but there was no way they were ever going to happen given physics and stuff. It's just wild to think how much difference there is but once I, I think it's all happened this month even um cad drawings for the iphone 14 and iphone 14 pro started popping up and mm -hmm. it shows a very similar device to what we already have basically iphone 13s uh, and iphone 13 pros almost exactly the same with slightly different dimensions but that camera bump is enormous and yes ming chi kuo says uh that camera bump being larger on the pro models is to house that larger 48 megapixel pixel uh, sensor which makes a lot of sense but don't think you're going to be going out here taking 48 megapixel photos i mean what does that even mean if you right. pay attention to photography at all the megapixel count in an image that's like the size you can make it it's not it's not about quality it's literally about how big it is so like a 40 megapixel 48 megapixel image you could blow up to the size of a tapestry and hang on your wall and still not get any like mm -hmm. pixelation in the image and that's that's fine and dandy but most people are going to be viewing these on monitors or phones Phones, maybe a TV, but even then, uh, that's way overkill for what you're going to need. Um, I think 48 megapixels does equivalent uh, is the equivalent of an 8K video, uh, like you said. Right. But no one using this camera on a regular basis is going to be taking that kind of image. Not only because the technology is not there yet to capture 48 megapixel images at a good light and detail, uh, it would be very dark. You'd have to be on the surface of the sun to capture enough uh, light to actually get a good quality image <laughs> right right um, which is which we know this because uh, samsung has a 108 megapixel sensor in one of their phones uh, or at least they did i don't know if they retcon that they tend to do that a lot that 108 megapixel shooter only shot what 12 megapixel photos they just divided it by nine this would use a technique called pixel bending. I know we've talked about it on the show before, yep. where basically it uses four pixels to shoot a 12 megapixel photo, just much, much better, much brighter, much more detail, because there's four pixels doing the work of one, and uh, I think that'll be very interesting. On top of that, that goes to video too. No one's gonna record 8K video, no one in their right mind anyway. I, I mean, the only reason why anyone in today should be recording 8K is because they intend to use after effects to create panning and zooming and they're going to export it in 4k or even hd um so that that comes in handy right imagine shooting an 8k and giving yourself 8x zoom within the video for panning and zooming that would be cool but again you have to be 
very bright conditions for that to even work properly. So I'm sure Apple will give pro users the ProRes uh, format and the Pro Raw for photos to let them shoot 48 megapixel or 8K video, but it's not going to be the default setting at all. And most people will be very happy with it. Yeah. And we're going to get some very nice 4K video out of these cameras. Oh, for sure. But man, 8K ProRes, you know, I'm thinking I have a 512 gigabyte iPhone. And if I flip my camera into ProRes video, it tells me I can record like 15 minutes. So if you did 8K ProRes, I'm not sure if it is literally double or if it is somehow more, but there would be like maybe three minutes of footage you know, to record 8K. Yeah, there's, there's compression involved there. I don't, I don't think it would what I mean to say is I don't think it would be in a ProRes format. <laughs> it's just right. given that we have those toggles now for ProRes and Pro Raw, I think Apple would give us the ability to record at those resolutions. Maybe I, I'm not so sure though, because at that point it would be too lossy, and I, I think the image would be too dark, the video would be too dark, and Apple may just pull the plug on that entirely. Net third-party apps, maybe like Filmic Pro and Halide, might have access to sure, that system because sure. that is physically what the sensor is, and Apple tends to let photo photography apps go nuts. So those apps could probably take advantage. But again, the video files are going to be big and the quality is going to drop off a cliff. So right. don't get mad when Apple says 48 megapixel camera sensor, 12 megapixel photos, because those are going to be some beautiful for uh, 12 megapixel photos. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, Mark Gurman in his power on newsletter that comes out every Sunday, he had a couple things that he stated last weekend. First is that the iPad Pro is slated to be upgraded this fall and it should be an M2 iPad Pro, which again, will be very curious what the first device is to sport the M2. I vote probably the MacBook Air in a redesign. The M2 iPad Pro should be coming out this fall. And the big rumor, you know, this is really the only feature that I've really heard even being rumored, not really much else besides the M2, but MagSafe charging, some kind of wireless charging for the iPad, and it would then have to have a glass back as opposed to the aluminum back of the current iPad Pro. And I still find this rumor weird. I mean, MagSafe charging is notoriously much slower than hardwired charging. And also to think, you know, the iPad Pro, at least my use, and I know a lot of people really love using it with the Magic Keyboard. Unless there's a major redesign of the Magic Keyboard, I don't understand why MagSafe charging on the back of the iPad, which would be covered by the keyboard, would be beneficial. And, you know, the smart connector kind of already offers a wireless-ish way to charge because you can plug a USB-C cable into the Magic Keyboard port and charge the iPad and it charges quote unquote wirelessly through that smart connector. So I'm not sure why or what the selling point would be for specifically a MagSafe puck or some kind of MagSafe charging on the iPad body specifically. What do you think? First of all, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Stephen. I can predict the future. Uh, oh, here, here, here shortly. I'll, I won't give you an exact date, but mm, probably sometime in June, we'll probably get a report from German saying mysteriously the, uh, M2 iPad Pro is delayed till spring 2023. Oh, uh, just because you're calling it out. Okay, okay. I'm telling you, it's not coming this fall. And the nomenclature around these rumors, it's a, it depends on the person. They don't know what these things are going to be called. They don't know the now names. They don't know what Apple marketing is going to do with this. He's calling it MagSafe likely because he saw a, a some sort of image or a device that looks like it's magnetic and provides power. Like, and none of these guys are perfect. It's probably just Smart Connector 2.0. Mm. Apple might want to just include MagSafe branding with everything, sure. And a better Smart Connector with better power inputs and stuff might be called MagSafe. I don't see 
like, or this could be the laptop version of MagSafe. We could get a uh, 100 watt power in to the iPad Pro on the side, you know, next to the USB-C or Thunderbolt port. Sure. Mm. I don't think any of these are, are the case, though. I th- it's still going to be one Thunderbolt port on the side. The smart connector magic keyboard combo is all going to be similar, but I think what this might equate to is a better smart connector with maybe some uh, more data passed through. Maybe that Magic Keyboard uh, 2.0 will have data where you can hook a SSD to the uh, Magic Keyboard and get data to the iPad. I'm not sure, though. It's... It's all very tricky, but yes, I, I, I'm not seeing this as a traditional iPhone MagSafe. Right. Bare minimum, this is probably laptop MagSafe or a rebranding of the smart connector. Yeah, it would be nice to have data pass through because like right now, if you either put a flash drive or try to connect any kind of USB-C device to the Magic Keyboard, iPad can't read it. You know, that port is only for charging right now. Very slow charging. Too. Yeah, very slow charging. So it would be an, an additional feature. I also think... One of the things many people have asked for, and maybe Apple will finally do it, is to move the FaceTime front-facing camera to the horizontal long side of the iPad Pro. So when it's sitting in a Magic Keyboard, it is actually oriented straight on to the user instead of being on the side where it is now, on the smaller edge of the iPad Pro. And if that's the case, and Apple finally changes the orientation of the device to, by default, be horizontal, then some kind of smart connector or MagSafe connector that moves to the bottom or the opposite side of that long edge uh, where the FaceTime camera would be, basically it would be on the bottom edge, then it makes sense they could rebrand it, they would move it, and then the orientation would be like what everyone is hoping for. And if you need evidence that right now Apple believes portrait mode is the default of the iPad, just look at how the logo is oriented and you will see on the back of the iPad, it's oriented in portrait mode. Ironically, on the Magic Keyboard, it's oriented horizontally, the logo especially. I'm just curious as to how they would implement this because there's several questions. Uh, What happens to the speaker grills? I guess the speakers could stay in the same place. The grills could be in the same spot. Yeah. Would the Thunderbolt port stay on the side? Would it move to the long side? Mm. I don't I don't want to hold the iPad in portrait and be covering a uh, Thunderbolt port. That would be odd. There, there's so many ways that they could do this. Uh, looking at Windows history and the, the horrible thousands of uh, convertibles that they've released, I could see them moving a smart connector like because the smart connector used to be on the side of the iPad. I could see them returning yeah. it to the side, but then you lose the floating uh, keyboard thingy. I, I I'm sure right. that will stay on the back. I just, I wonder if they're ready to break compatibility with that $330 uh, keyboard. Yeah, that is true. There's just so many questions in the air here. I, I'm not sure that we're ready for a complete redesign. A lot of these rumors really just like to aim for the moon. German could be seeing something from 2025, but I, his sources tell him, you know, I'm sure like this is expected to be in this device. But again, it all comes down to delays, manufacturing processes. Apple's testing this. Is LG able to make, you know, glass the way that they want to, to, to meet these standards and a glass backed iPad? Who? Yeah, yeah. That's scary. The durability would take a hit for Mm. sure. I will say I did an interview with Fernando Silva, a friend of the show. He's got a YouTube channel. And we did an interview about our wishes for the future iPad OS. One of the things I hope for is Final Cut on iPad. I think there is a chance we'll see that. But if they did bring Final Cut to the iPad, what would be incredible 
and this is something Apple's probably never going to do, but to put an SD card slot on the iPad so you could actually import footage and edit it all in that one tablet and not need any kind of dongle or hub. I doubt Apple would ever do that, but I'm just going to put it out there in the ether. It'd be nice to have. Steven, I'm going to say something controversial. The iPad Pro is fine. (laughs) We're good. I know, I know. The hardware, just, I I get it. We all want some magical hologram that Iron Man uses, right? But just leave it alone and focus (laughs) on that software. Focus on iPad OS. Just take a break. Let let those guys go have a sandwich or something. (laughs) Tell them we're good. Thunderbolt is plenty. This display is beautiful. Mini LED is great. The shape, the size, the weight, everything is good. Just stop it. And give us <laughs> really powerful, huge, crazy iPad OS update because yeah, yeah, I'm that's, with you. That's where our limitations are. I, I get hardware is exciting. It's what you see. It's what you hold. Uh, and this is actually, I can't believe. Uh, I'm even thinking this, but it's starting to age. Uh, the iPad Pro, as it is, has existed since 2018. My God, that was three years ago. Four. Four years uh, ago. What year is it, Steven, even? Uh, like, <laughs> it's 2022. That was four <sighs> years ago. <laughs> what is math? Anyway, uh, four <laughs> years ago, uh, I can feel the gray coming in to my hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the iPad Pro is showing a little bit of age, but yeah. age compared to what? I mean, this thing is aging like a, a fine wine. Let, call me a fanboy. It's a great device great product there's nothing else out there that looks like it except for i guess samsung has tablets um i I wouldn't call them (laughs) tablets uh more paperweights but you know sue me sure sure apple come on yeah soft wwdc ipad os 16 where are we at let's go um i agree i agree this episode is brought to you by collide Listen, typically when a company tries to make their devices secure and private the devices used by their employees they lock them down They remove features or remove access to certain things, and that can be frustrating to the employees trying to use their phone, computer, or tablet device. Well, Collide approaches security and privacy differently. Collide actually sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, or Windows devices right inside of Slack, which then empowers those employees to make the correct security choices and better their security practices on their own, and you don't have to lock down their devices. Collide actually educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. You can visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. And when you enter your email, you actually get a free Collide gift bundle after a trial activation, which is pretty cool. Collide knows that end users are the IT administrator's most significant untapped resource and really the key to solving the most challenging security issues, including instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys. Collide will find plain text two-factor backup codes. You know, if you have an employee that set up two-factor authentication, they got the backup codes but didn't know what to do with them. So they just saved them to a text file on their computer. Well, Collide will tell them, hey, don't leave those there. That's not secure. They can also convince employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. And those are just some of the many use cases that aren't solved by locking down devices, but Collide can help. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days. No credit card is even required for the trial. Try it out at collide.com slash Apple Insider. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. Well, the other thing German mentioned was that Apple is looking to launch a hardware subscription, meaning like you subscribe to Apple One 
their bundle of software services that they might roll hardware into those kinds of bundles and you could subscribe to get constant upgrades to your devices. I found this interesting because A, Apple kind of has some of these services already set up. If you're a business, you can actually do a subscription type uh, payment plan for Macs. You can sign up for that if you're a business. And also the iPhone upgrade plan is kind of like that. I've been doing the iPhone upgrade plan for years. I pay monthly and every year I get a new iPhone. I mail the old one back and I get a new one. So there's kind of a subscription service. I'm curious what the difference would be. I don't know if it would be like there's no more $100 fee when you upgrade because right now in the iPhone upgrade program, you do have to pay like a hundred something dollars when you get the new phone and then it's the recurring monthly payment. And then you can't do that with iPad right now. Although you can do Apple card payments, which is not the same because you're just paying off the purchase price. I guess a subscription would be you just ongoing, get a new iPad every couple of years. So I would be curious. This is just a rebranding. I mean, yeah. If if you lease a car, that's a subscription. It's a very expensive subscription, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're paying a recurring fee to keep something or use something. Right. It's all semantics at that point. I, I don't think this is anything to get super excited about. I'm sure the pundits and the stock trading industry side of things are all very excited. It's like, ooh, look, another way to recurring revenue. You know, recurring revenue. And it's like, well, but don't they already get that? If anything, the only reason why I could understand this existing and Apple promoting it or pushing it really hard is it's a way to get people who would otherwise not even think about upgrading upgrade every year just because it's a part of what they're paying for and they get it anyway and if and if anyone can do it and make it seamless they just wake up one day in September and there's an iPhone sitting on their doorstep that that would kind of be scary <laughs> but Apple could do it and I, I could see them playing that game yeah because Stephen Segway I just wanted to bring this up I know it's not in our notes but today I wrote an article <laughs> yes. about Twitter users waking up to find oh yeah that their iPhone 6 no longer has access to the Twitter app Stephen these yes. iPhone 6 the super cycle the iPhone to forebear to everything we know and love today is no longer supported by Twitter because they run iOS 13 and Twitter has moved on to iOS 14. Right. Is this doom for Apple? <laughs> doom. Apple is doomed. The iPhone 6 came out 2014. So that was oh eight years ago. Eight years. Eight years is a good run. That's almost a decade of compatibility. But listen, if you have an iPhone 6 and you're mad about this, tweet at me. Oh, wait a minute. Well, they can Sorry, use they, Safari, Stephen. Uh, they can, that's true. That's true. Just log into Safari. You can tweet from there. I, I just, I if there are any listeners who have an iPhone 6, let us know. That that would be awesome. I would like to know. It's yeah. I understand that these are the hand-me-downs. You know, a 14-year-old sure. doesn't need an iPhone uh, 13 or whatever. Yeah, my son would disagree, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. The uh, gray markets are very, very big. Right. You know, uh, yep. which is the, the used market, basically, like selling. eBay. Yeah, so, selling these things yeah. used. The unless you're buying one for twenty bucks, I wouldn't buy an iPhone six today. I mean, the I can't even remember what processors in there. I, I I won't bother looking, but it's old enough that you'd have to say, yeah, it can turn on and last at least a couple hours on battery life, and unless you've replaced the battery recently. Right. Apple sells really good devices that last a while, and I'm sure this thing does great browsing the web and scrolling Facebook. Sure. But that's sure. And if and for pe some people, that's all they need a device for. So I understand these continuing to live on. Yeah. But you can pretty much walk into a Verizon and they'll throw iPhone SEs at you for free. Uh, so <laughs> that's true. I would encourage anyone stuck on anything prior to an iPhone eight, 
even at least just consider the iPhone SE because that thing is not expensive. Right. And yes, I understand some people just, you know, affordances is different, you know, income is different. But at the end of the day, once you trade in a phone and uh, throw a couple of subsidiaries at it, like you're maybe $10 a month added to your phone plan just to get that modern iPhone experience. Yeah. So I said one last word on the subscription thing. I do think it'll be interesting if Apple adds Apple Watch to a subscription tied to the phone. Like right now, the iPhone upgrade plan is just for the iPhone. Right. I think they could reach a whole new level of users to say add $5 to this monthly cost or less and get a brand new Apple Watch with your brand new iPhone. Here's all the health benefits and here's what you can do with it. That that might be a big selling feature. So I'm curious what they did. I wonder what this means for the green aspect of this. You know, everyone's upgrading more often. Uh, Apple Watch, throw in an Apple Watch, throw in some AirPods, you know, uh, oh, pay yeah, a premium, get some, get some new AirPods. There are people just tossing these things in the garbage now like i i just wonder I, i'm sure there'll be a lot of discussion around the green efforts of this and what apple's doing with these old devices because if their goal really how beneficial is it to everyone that everyone on earth buy the new iphone the day it comes out what happens to all those old devices and what's what's the plan to do because as apple pushes more and more people to upgrade at least every two years even yeah. which is still way faster than the average i'm sure the average is at least three to four years what happens to all these old devices uh, i mean if apple sold a record-breaking still to this day difficult to match super cycle of iphone 6s what where are all those devices are they doorstops somewhere are they you know yeah i mean i think great market like what you're saying maybe through third parties like best buy i will say apple has its refurbished site also which listen if you're not familiar with this i point a lot of people to this site and you can even access this in the apple store app like on your iphone if you go to mac or iphone or ipad and you scroll all the way down to the bottom there is a refurbished area and you can get like a refurbished iPhone 11 Pro for $769, which is like $230 off the brand new price. So, you know, they don't have like 10S and 10 and earlier phones. I'm sure those are available through like, again, like gray market, eBay, stuff like that, third-party sellers. But Apple does keep that refurbished site at least somewhat active. You know, you see products come in and come out a lot. So I'll put a link to that if you weren't aware, listeners, and you want to get a modern-ish iPhone, but for slightly less than newer, I'll put, you know, check out their refurbished store. All right, we got to jam through because I want to hear your your thoughts on the studio display. Right, right. Just announced as we're recording, the Apple Business Essentials program is now available to all US users. So Apple Business Essentials is that program that's competing with mobile device managers like Jamf or Kanji, where you can actually manage Apple devices for your small business directly with Apple services. Some of the benefits here is you can actually deploy iCloud storage to accounts as a part of your business through Business Essentials, and it still integrates with things like Jamf if you want to continue using some of those third-party mobile device services. And also, there was a small update to iOS 15, iPadOS, tvOS, and all of that. 15.4.1 has released with some bug fixes and, again, support for the Apple Business Essentials, so you can check out those updates on your device right now. I do want to mention the other Apple exec interview. This was in TechCrunch. Matthew Panzerino had this interview with a couple of Apple execs. And I just want to point out a couple quotes. Tom Boger, who's the vice president of Mac and iPad product marketing, actually stated the Mac Studio is a completely new product line. He said, which is rare. They don't add lines to the Mac very often, which I think it's interesting to hear that clarification. This is not replacing a Mac this is not in the same vein of a Mac. Like this is a quote unquote new Mac product line, according to Apple. And then Xander Soren, who's the director of product marketing, actually said 
he clarified what modular meant, you know, because Apple mentioned that the Mac Studio was a modular computer and everyone was kind of up in arms. It's like, well, you can't replace the SSD. You can't swap out RAM. How is this modular? And he clarified that for them, modular means that you can use it with whatever display you want and that the chips in the Mac Studio are, you know, optional. You can get the M1 Max or the M1 Ultra. Considering that modular, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't consider the MacBook Pro modular, but you can get it with an M1 Pro or M1 Max. So that seems a little strange as a clarification, but modular basically meaning bring your own display. If you remember the marketing behind uh, Mac Mini, it was bring your own uh, keyboard and mouse right. and display. Yep. I think this this works to some sense. Yeah, it's all semantics. Pros are not going to be happy with this. Uh, if you own a Mac Pro, it's like, you know, Mac Studio is not modular, but I, I can see what they're going for here it, rather than every you know two years uh having to replace a five thousand dollar imac pro uh rest in peace you just rip out the guts and put in a new mac studio for you know half the price and keep that same display same keyboard same uh, all the stuff without paying for the premium for apple's at newest xdr 120 hertz refresh rate right whatnot so uh, that makes sense but yeah it is kind of a stretch of the word <laughs> exactly so also Apple TV Plus, the baseball live MLB games on Friday nights is starting April 8th. Apple announced that that will be the first Friday night. You can catch two games on Apple TV Plus. It's the New York Mets and Washington Nationals at 7 p.m. Eastern, and then the Astros and Angels at 9.30. So I'm going to be, you know, I don't typically watch a lot of baseball, but I'm going to check out what it's like to watch live sports because notoriously some of those apps, like I've seen NBA TV and I've seen like other live streaming sports apps, and it can be pretty clunky. So I'm curious how Apple TV Plus incorporates that into the app and how easy it is to get to those games yeah that, that's the one with the bat and the bases right that's cricket you're thinking of okay. cricket actually uh, yeah <laughs> no i i really enjoy baseball i actually like playing baseball uh, it's the one where you oh, yeah. you don't have to run as much um because you, the, the <laughs> yeah. bases aren't that far apart yeah no i i really enjoy watching baseball live you know grab a beer and a hot dog and a, you know mm-hmm. maybe sweat a little bit and go out in the stands get covered in some dirt it's fun yeah yeah i've never been a fan of watching it on tv i'll check this out to see if apple's doing something weird i'm, I'm sure it's just Hey, it's a baseball program, but uh, there's an Apple logo somewhere. Right. But I don't know. Something interesting. I'm, I'm interested in seeing if they break out into other sports in the future, but certainly uh, new uh, and fancy. So check it out. Also wanted to highlight Andrew O'Hara had our iPad Air review. And after the last episode, there were several listeners that reached out and was asking about the supposed creaking or the build quality of the new iPad Air. There were some YouTube reviews that showed like you could almost hear a creaking in the case of the new iPad Air. And I double checked with Andrew personally in the Slack. And he said he did not feel like the build quality was an issue. He did not hear any creaking. So I'll put a link to his review and he's got the video review as well, but didn't seem to be a concern. And again, it seems like it's the iPad that is for most people. Again, that price point at $600 starting, it's a little confusing with the iPad Pro, but we talked about that on previous show. You didn't get an iPad Air, did did you? No, I I don't. I use the iPad mini as my secondary iPad now, so no need for that. It's a great device. I love the size, but yep, I don't need three iPads. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Don't tempt me, Frodo. Please stop spending $500 on devices only to test the structural integrity by bending and, and hammering it. Oh, Just man. use the thing. I mean, sure, maybe it's a little creaky, but what stress are you putting it under to even find out? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. So this was kind of big news. The court case that actually decided Apple has to allow developers to link to their website or service from inside their app. Apple is finally rolling out this ability where quote unquote reader apps, which is a strange nomenclature, but it includes apps like Netflix and Spotify video type apps. 
that those apps will now be able to have a button in their app that says sign up here or sign up there. And so Apple is just starting to roll it out. Developers will have to apply for an entitlement to put that in their app. And The Verge actually had a screenshot. I'll put this as the chapter artwork. If you're listening, you can look at the image in your podcast player now. But it is going to be a several step process when you as the user click a button that says go sign up on the website. There's going to be a big screen, like a warning screen that shows up and it's like you're leaving Apple's ecosystem and you'll have to agree that you understand that and then it will load the website after that. So it's great that developers can finally do that link to their own website so so people can actually sign up. You know, this would have saved the whole hey debacle a year or so ago from being a thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what apples do that. I'm sure Netflix will be one of the first. So if you want to see what that looks like, check that probably in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll still just try to sign up in whatever way I can with Apple. I mean, if I have to have a Netflix account and go out and, and sign up, sure, I'll do that. And uh, I think the reader thing comes from Amazon, the whole buying books within the uh, Amazon Kindle app. Books, right. I think that's where this comes from because, of course, the only app being about reading is uh barely even a part of this because netflix spotify all of that the place where you go to read obviously so right exactly all right and right before we get to the studio display so apple is working on additional financial services that it is bringing in-house things like payment processing credit checks and things like that where it's using third-party services for those kind of financial aspects they might be trying to bring those in-house possible motivations would be Apple Card expansion, especially internationally. Apple Card right now is only available in the US, but could also mean that some of the payment processing that Apple Pay goes through and other credit card processing might actually come in-house into Apple. So this is very early. We don't have a lot of details on it, but interesting that Apple is really working to bring those in-house and curious what that will mean for the future. Yeah, I'm not sure what this means. I don't think Apple's going to become a bank, but at the same time, no. like, do they really want to get into the business of processing these services or, or contacting credit bureaus to get credit scores and stuff? I think Apple's fine putting these out to Goldman Sachs and such. I, this might just be for the international thing. I think this ties to right. them buying the that service in Europe. I've forgotten what it is already, but um, like, I think all that ties together. I think this might be reading into it just a little bit too much. I don't think Apple's going to suddenly turn on a switch and say, we're a bank now and uh, come get a loan for your next iMac. Right. I don't think that's how this works. Yeah. So you have the studio display. You've been working on it now for a couple weeks as we record. We've talked about it. There have been lots of thoughts out there. So I just want to know, Wes, what do you personally feel about the new studio display? I think a lot of the complaints echo um, something like the AirPods Max. If it's not for you, um, generally speaking, especially in the tech world, people are going to react uh, emotionally in a way that that justifies their purchase or not purchase. And I think that's where a lot of this controversy comes from is people just, they want to justify them not getting it, even though they're probably part of the crowd that's complained about Apple not making a quote unquote affordable monitor for the last few years. But given that it's been, what, four, five years, I can't remember, uh, since Apple stopped, got out of the display business altogether, mm-hmm. those LG monitors came along and they were fine, not ultra fine as the parlance yeah. goes, but right. the studio display, I love it. I, it's everything I wanted. Uh, mm. Long story short, I moved over from an LG Ultra Gear gaming monitor, which was the only thing below um, $1,000 that matched some of Apple's specs with like P3 color gamut and such. But it promised HDR, which basically it lied because HDR 400 is an awful standard. HDR in general is an awful standard um, unless you have to look for that Dolby Vision thing 
that Apple promotes a lot because that's actually policed uh, versus HDR is just basically you throw in a couple things in there and it's HDR even if the screen goes dark when you turn it on. The studio displays just it's color accurate. It's great. Uh, it's simple. You just plug in that Thunderbolt cable. That's what I've been looking for. Uh, I, I have a LG Ultrafine 24 inch, the original model and uh, been trying to replicate that experience since with a bigger, better display. And it just doesn't exist. And um, everyone complaining, you know, it's not great for the value, but isn't value determined by availability in the marketplace. And if Apple's is the only one in the market offering these specs, these abilities, they can charge whatever they want for it. And I know that's terrible. That sucks for us. But at the same time, they're only charging $1,600 for what could otherwise be. They could have, they could have made this thing $2,000. And that, and I agree with a lot of the sentiment, like this could have been a $1,300 display, maybe a $1,400 display. I get it. The stand costs $400 to get a height adjustable stand. And Apple probably over-engineered this a bit and charged a little bit too much, but at the end of the day, this is what we got, and I'm glad we have it over the option of nothing or a giant piece of plastic made by LG. So that's that's how right. I feel about it. And you got the like standard model, not the height adjustable, correct? Yes. Uh, bare, bare minimum specs across the board. Don't need uh, nano texture. And I didn't really care about having height adjustability. Do you find that the height works for you? Did you, I mean, is, is your desk adjustable or did you have to adjust anything or was it fine just out of the box? Um, I probably would have used it uh, on the desk. It does seem a little low. Uh, at that point, um, my desk isn't adjustable, but before I even got the monitor, just because I knew these things would probably sell out, um, I bought the high rise stand from 12 South cause, uh, I, That's right. I already used the curve stand for my laptop. So I figured, oh, they match. Why not? Let's, if this thing is not adjustable, I've had IMAX before. I know what height that is. Right. So I might as well just go ahead and buy one. And it pretty much puts it at a great spot, maybe not a little too high, but I've gotten used to it and I, I quite like it. Yeah. Having that high adjustability would be nice, but at the same time, it's, it's not a deal breaker. Uh, $400 for a high adjustable stand versus this like $60 piece of aluminum I stick underneath it, you know? So <laughs> yeah, it's save some money and you get a little storage too, right? Isn't there like a little storage area? I have no idea what I would put in there. It doesn't even fit like SSD. You put it, you put an external SSD in there. Yeah. So right now, um, I have my cable for my because I have my iPad mini for universal control uh, underneath the monitor which is another reason why I wanted it higher up so I could have my iPad mini under it uh, in portrait orientation which is great uh, I've I run a power cable to it uh, underneath the high rise and, and done some cable management taping the cable underneath and the SSD I normally connect to a Thunderbolt uh, to, to my external hub I've connected to one of the ports on the monitor and use a short cable for that. So yes, there is an SSD sitting in there. Otherwise the storage is wasted. I wish something I could do here to make it slightly, cause it almost fits a PlayStation DualShock controller, but it doesn't. Uh, uh, and that, that would, that would have been like the one thing I would have actually put in there. So now the, the high, you have the high rise or the high rise pro, uh, not the thing that looks like a wooden box. Uh, the okay. aluminum one, uh, the, cause the box has like some weird adjustable thing and the, the foot sits inside of the stand. This is just a piece of a, a curved aluminum. So Gotcha. Yeah, because the High Rise Pro is is more expensive. It's one hundred and seventy dollars, still cheaper than the four hundred dollar height adjustable. But it actually has multiple slots that you put the foot of the either iMac or Studio Display in, and it can be different heights. So you basically get four or five different heights possible from that one little box. Plus, then you get storage. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of how that one looked. Uh, it reminded me a bit of uh, where you would store 
um, index cards or floppy disks in 1997. <laughs> sure, um, sure. So just, yeah, I stuck with the aluminum. Gotcha. Well, very cool. Well, we'll put a link to the uh, the high rise too, in case our listeners are interested. And just wanted to mention real quick before we go, there was an awesome story about the Apple logo and its history. William had the article from the original original logo, which you haven't if you haven't seen that. Please go look at the chapter artwork right now because I'll make that the chapter art. But he goes through the whole history of the logo. I thought it was pretty cool, interesting, and kind of how Apple has been returning to its six colors roots recently. But let us know what you thought about anything from the podcast. You can tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Also, thank you for those five-star ratings and reviews. You can keep those coming. And don't forget, you can support the show. You get an ad-free version and early access either directly in Apple Podcasts. Lots of you do it there. Or at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.